Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, how could the S&P 500 close at a record high when we got such a terrifying inflation number this very morning? Simple. When everyone expects an outrageous government statistic, then it isn't actually outrageous when you get it. So when the Labor Department reported a red-hot number this morning, consumer price index up 5%, the biggest year-over-year increase since August of 2008, the market took it in stride. Dow advancing 19 points. S&P gaining 0.47%. Hey, new high. And most important, the tech-laden Nasdaq climbed 0.78%. The inflation winners in the Dow underperformed today, while the classic growth stocks, Nasdaq names like Microsoft, ServiceNow, Adobe, CrowdStrike, Amazon, and Alphabet, they all roared! It's like when you're throwing a surprise party for someone and they find out ahead of time. They usually try to pretend that they didn't know, just to spare you the embarrassment. Today, many people pretended they didn't know about this inflation number, which is why you got a real faux surprise. It was so obviously going to be hotter than the projections that didn't you have to wonder, I mean, who the heck is making these stupid darn forecasts in the first place? Here's the thing, though. When you've got a phony surprise, everyone always afraid that someone's not in on the joke, that some big firm with a lot of stock will be shocked and say, wow, that's awful. The Fed will have to tighten immediately. So the fear of clueless big money keeps people on the sidelines. Once the number prints and nobody freaks out, the buyers who've been Biding their time, come in off the sidelines and buy, 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 buy. But are those buyers being too glib? It may, it may not be a surprise, but five percent inflation seems pretty serious, doesn't it? I mean, want to force the Fed to tighten, wreck the economy? Not so fast. This is a case where you have to read the fine print. Remember, Fed Chief Jay Powell keeps insisting that this inflation is transitory, meaning it will eventually subside, even if the headline numbers currently seem real bad. 
When you break them down, though, it sure looks like Powell may be on to something. First, the biggest price increases were for used cars and trucks, up 7.3% in May, continuing a trend from April. Used vehicles alone accounted for one-third of the total consumer price inflation. Transitory? You bet it is. What's happened here is that new cars and trucks contain a lot of semiconductors. Right now, we've got a chip shortage because no one expected this level of demand. Last year, COVID sparked an exodus from the cities to the suburbs. Who thought that would happen, forcing millions to buy cars? Meanwhile, all the semiconductor foundries are running at full capacity, so the automakers haven't been able to expand production. That means anyone who needs to buy a car or a truck pretty much has to buy used, wherever you can find them. If if it all really does go back to the semiconductor shortage, though, and the thing about chips is that the foundries are pumping them out 24-7. Plus, there was a fire at a major Japanese facility a few months ago. Now that's coming back online. Sooner or later, these are going to reach equilibrium, and then the market will be flooded with supply. And this problem? Transitory. It'll resolve itself. Remember, there's nothing the Federal Reserve can do to solve the chip shortage. We need more foundries, not higher interest rates. Now, let's take down more line items from the CPI board. Airline fares jumped. Ooh, I say, so what? Of course, airline tickets are up huge over a year. Nobody was flying in May of 2020. Plus, the airlines did misjudge the strength of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So they haven't grown their capacity to keep up with new demand. But there are more than 90 new airlines, 90 new airlines launched this year. And there are plenty of planes to be had. Fares will plummet once these companies get rolling. Next, oil and gas. All right, this one's tougher. We all feel it. But this is actually another supply issue. Remember, the Biden administration is a friend of the oil patch, right? I mean, what is the big give up on the Keystone Pipeline today? The Trump administration sowed the seeds of oil and gas price destruction by encouraging companies to drill and build pipelines. Now, though, there will be far fewer pipelines built, and oil companies are far more concerned about environmental issues. So they aren't producing as much. Again, that's got nothing to do with interest rates. The more president hates oil. Well, the higher the price of oil goes. The grain complex, way up, too. However, this is another problem that tends to fix itself if you give it enough time. When grain prices spike, farmers buy more equipment and plant more crops, which in turn sends price prices back down. And that is exactly what's happening. Go read the Deer Conference call if you disagree with me. What else? I'm not surprised that dining out costs more. I, like, something like 150,000 restaurants closed during this period. The remainder need to charge more in part because they haven't been able to make it up in volume due to COVID restrictions. Now that these restrictions are easing, prices should come down or at least stop climbing. Sure, Starbucks is taking uh, talking about a cup, cup shortage, but they have more volume themselves because so many of the independent coffee shop competitors went under. They just misjudged. The supply chain glitches in this industry tend to be related to freight and plastic. Plastic prices have roared because we've got so many petrochemical plants along the Gulf Coast, and they've gotten hammered by Winter Storm Uri. As for freight, well, that one, I got no answer on that one. Uh, we don't have enough truck drivers. It's a difficult profession. They need to pay them more. When people fret about inflation, that's what they're really afraid of. They're afraid of wage inflation. That's what they're scared of. But before you start freaking out about Weimar Republic-level hyperinflation, remember what we really saw in last Friday's non-farm payroll report. The labor participation rate, it fell a tenth of a percent. Average hourly earnings were up just point. 5% 5% month to month, and they only increased by 2% year over year. Meanwhile, the average work week actually fell a tenth of a percent. Honestly, I'm surprised these numbers are so low given the pressure from expanded unemployment benefits. Those benefits go away in September. 
It wasn't that strong an employment number. How about the port congestion is playing havoc to so many goods? All right, get this. There's a little inside baseball. I think the pressure goes away when commercial flights restart from Asia to the United States. They're going to make a comeback. Do you know that lots of cargo normally travels on those passenger planes, not just in the containers and ship? Once they start flying again, that logjam is going to diminish. Put it all together, and it's the one of the Federal Reserve's keeping rates low. They don't have to lift a finger. Most of these problems are going to sort themselves out. In fact, it's already happening. Baltic Freight Index, great proxy for commodity demand, chiefly out of China. It's come down a great deal in the last couple of weeks. That's a big reason why almost all the industrials got just crushed today, while the drug stocks look well, they took off, even as that's exactly the opposite of what you'd expect if the red-hot CPI number actually took anyone by surprise. Okay, look, I am not saying that we've got inflation whipped now. I'm saying there are too many things that went wrong last year, and most of them won't be solved by higher rates. Businesses just weren't prepared to handle such a strong economy. But that's a high-quality problem, and they don't need a rate hike to work things out. Time will do it for them. I think Jay Powell's gradual approach is prudent. I'm betting he's going to be dead right. So we should just simply stop bugging the darn guy already. He's doing a real good job. Bottom line, maybe Powell's responsible for a big chunk of this rally in the stock market. Or maybe business is just plain good. Either way, the only truly non-transitory inflation I see is from that Wall Street bets mob who've gotten in, in their heads somehow to inflate stock prices, although even that's probably temporary, given what happened to the meme stocks in January and given what happened to them today. Let's go to Ann in Massachusetts. Ann. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Thanks for Ann. taking my call. I'm calling about Peloton. I'm a mom of two boys under the age of two. So you can imagine I love the company, love the bike. I'm a conservative investor. So where do you see the stock going? Gyms are opening up. The weather's uh, nice. A, a conservative investor does not buy Peloton. As much as I think the company's well-managed, it is not the kind of stock. I mean, you need to be looking at a Pfizer uh, but by the way, it's no sin to look at Pfizer. It's not it, it, it's not bad. I talked about it today in a video I did. Uh, you need to be looking at uh, at some. Ver- you can look, you can buy Bristol Myers. It's all right here. I, I just think Peloton's not for you. Uh, it's just risky. I want to go to Ellen in Pennsylvania, please. Ellen. Hey, Jim. Ellen, what's up? I'm a Philly girl. Yes. Very strong. <laughs> Jim, you're the reason I can retire and my daughter is an investor. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. My question is about a stock you recommended very highly, and I invested. I don't know if it's a hold, buy, or sell. Ever since it's gone down, and I'm wondering if it's being shorted. If so, could it be a good target for the Wall Street bets crowd? Because I'd like to see it go to the moon. I'm asking about Encino. Yeah, and Cena's been weaker. I don't think the Wall Street bets crowd is thoughtful enough. Oh, that was mean. I don't think they're looking at this one. This is Cloud Banking Solutions. This is a company that Mark Benioff from Salesforce thinks the world of. I think it's doing a real good job. It's in Wilmington, North Carolina. If it was actually based in Sunnyvale, probably people would pay attention to it. But but their software works, and I'm sticking by it even though it's down 14% this year. I think Encino's good. As a matter of fact, I was just playing around with their bell that they gave me right before the show. Although, candidly, it... The ringer wasn't in. All right. Nothing's perfect. Pal's gradual approach, I am telling you, is prudent. 
Okay, maybe it's responsible for a big chunk of the rally, or maybe business is just good. Either way, the only non-transitory inflation I see is from the Wall Street Fed's crowd. But I think that's real temporary. Well, man, tonight, what happens to a COVID winner once COVID becomes less of a worry? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Brooklyn Elm to find out how the company is positioning itself in a post-pandemic world. Then, 11.38 million households adopted a pet during the pandemic. Is Chewy poised to profit off these new animal owners? I'm chewing on the latest quarter with the CEO. And who is really winning the retail war? I'm talking to the man who knows. Don't miss my exclusive with Matthew Boss. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Last year, we saw a bunch of life science stocks soar when they developed effective COVID tests and the underlying companies were making fortunes. But now, thanks to faster-than-expected vaccine rollouts, most of these stocks have started pulling back because it's clear the COVID business, well, let's just say it might not be around that much longer. So what do we do? What do we make of these companies in the post-pandemic world? Take Perkin Elmer, a maker of life science and diagnostic equipment, with a stock that's more than double off its lows last year. Makes sense, given that the earnings were the double, too, right? Perkin Elmer peaked at $162 earlier this year. 
but it's now pulled back to the 140s. Lately, though, the stock's been bouncing off its lows, possibly in anticipation of a big analyst day later this month. So tonight, we're going to give you a preview of that event and find out more about how the company's doing with Pralat Singh. Now, he's president and CEO of Perkin Elmer. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mad Money. It's good to be back, Jim. Okay, so we got to get right to it. Uh, Recently, one of the companies I follow that is a terrific company, and I think you and I both said it, Abbott Labs, had to pre-announce that they did not make projections. And the reason is because, frankly, the pandemic has, let's just say, tailed off. uh, And when we had Perkin on last time, you guys are the leader in machines that make it so that you can test for COVID. So what happens now at Perkin Good question. And, and Jim, you know, at the beginning of the year, when we uh, gave out our guidance on COVID, we were very pragmatic in our approach. So unlike our peers, you know, we have, in fact, uh, continued to see resilience in our testing. And in fact, we have slightly raised our COVID guidance for the year. But, but the rationale around us is that it's not just COVID. You know, we have more than COVID, as you pointed out, in life sciences and diagnostics, we will continue to see acceleration in our portfolio. And in fact, since the beginning of the year, we have uh, raised our guidance by several hundred basis points for our core business. Now that uh, there have been a series of M&As, Megan, I don't want to make anyone think that you're just that. I like diagnostics, applied genomics. We've got to talk about that. Uh, reproductive health, great new area, food, which you've always been dominant, environmental safety. Uh, you're talking about uh, just a series of analytical solutions. All of these can more than make up, uh, from what I can tell, for maybe uh, a fewer machines being sold to, that analyze PCR, correct? Absolutely. I think the way to think of it is as you look forward, you know, over the past couple of years, we've continued to pivot our business more in the life sciences and diagnostics arena. Today, more than 75% of our revenue is from consumables, software, and services. And this is a recurring revenue stream, which will only continue to grow as a proportion of our business, Jim. So, you know, if you just take the acquisitions as an example, right, because of the tireless efforts of our 14,000 employees last year, we had a very strong financial performance. And given the agility and innovation that we have put in place, we were immediately able to deploy that returns from the financial performance back into acquisitions. Over the last six months, we've done five acquisitions, Jim, and these are specifically in the area of life sciences and diagnostics. But more specifically, in cell and gene therapy and infectious diseases, two areas which we foresee seeing continued growth over the next decade. Well, let's give the people an example, because this is, to me, the ingenuity of your company, Plug. Uh, something that I had to do a lot of work on just to be able to ask the question. You're going to dominate in cell painting. Tell people what cell painting is. So as we look at the avenues of, you know, from an assay perspective, at the cellular level, you know, when researchers are looking at, you know, for example, an oncology what is the basis of how you differentiate in cells? So at the cellular and, you know, cell and gene therapy is an area of research, Jim, where we see accelerated and disproportionate amount of funding going over the next decade. And I think cell painting, cell editing, cell analysis, cell storage, cell engineering on the cellular side 
And similarly, on the genomic side, gene editing, base editing, these are areas where researchers are going to be putting their focus on. And we want to be at the forefront of that technology to be able to provide researchers with tools that they would need in this arena. And you know, Phenoview, which we just uh, you know, partnered with Broad Institute is uh, on the Gem Cell Consortium, is one example in that, uh, in that arena. And I, I don't want to miss, miss p- the, the pickup in China is fantastic. Chinese and food safety. One minute on that, please, because I think that that business only can go up. Yeah. So, you know, for us, China is a, uh, you know, close to 25% of our revenue. You know, and we have disproportionate amount of amount of our revenue in China comes from the diagnostic side. But food is a very important growth avenue for us there, specifically around food quality and safety testing. You know, we recently completed the acquisition of Meizhang in China. Because of COVID, obviously, there was a depression in that side of the market. Right. But it has come roaring back. And in fact, in all end markets that we participate in, Jim, we have seen a significant amount of growth coming back to pre-2019 levels, to be more specific. Well, I've got to tell you, I, I think we've heard some. I think the analyst days could be unbelievable because what you're at doing, no one else is doing. OK, maybe a little bit Danaher, maybe a little bit, a little bit Thermo Fisher. But you're going to be the dominant air, the dominant company in this new area of trying to explore and map cells. And I think that's a much better business, frankly, even though I thought you dominated PCR. This is a much more long-lasting business. I salute you, sir, for what these acquisitions and what you're doing, because it's going to be a multiple-year expansion for Perkin Elmer. Thank you so much, Pallad Singh, President and CEO of Perkin Elmer PKI. Great to see you, and I hope the analyst day goes well. Thank you very much, Jim. Look forward to seeing you again. There's only a couple life science companies that are worth owning, guys. Just a couple. And this is one of them. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, the dog days of summer are here early. You have three minutes to walk your best friend and get back to your screen. Chewy joins Kramer off earnings next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Is this market finally developing a taste for turbocharged growth stocks again? From February through last month, most of the COVID winners with rapid growth rates saw their stocks just obliterated. Money managers sold them so they could swap into the newly hot cyclicals that make fortunes when the economy is booming. The ones that really did terribly today. In the last few weeks, though, some of these growth names have gotten some lift. Take Chewy, the online pet food and uh, uh, supply store. It's a month ago. The stock had been all the way down to 64. 
Yes, down nearly 50% from its highs, but in the last few weeks, it's rebounded to the high 70s. Still, Chewy reported a solid quarter after the close today, and the stock actually kind of went down a little bit after hours. Nothing big, even though these guys delivered a nice top and bottom line beat with a higher-than-expected full-year forecast. It's struggling to gain some traction at these levels. So why don't we do this? Let's dig deeper with Sumit Singh. He's the CEO of Chewy, one of our longtime favorites here on the show, to learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here, Jim. Nice to see you. Okay, so let's go over some of these numbers. To me, it looks like a little bit better in every line. But what I want to know is a lot of people are worried the pet uh, renaissance that happened through COVID, they figure once COVID's over, well, people are going to, let's say, not not uh, adopt as many pets. There won't be the market will, uh, will go down. I look at these numbers and it tells me that there's it could actually be accelerated. You're exactly right. We are not seeing that in our numbers, and we're also not seeing that you know for data coming back from the shelter partners that we work with, which is over six thousand at this point. See, overall adoptions we believe is up still year over year by double digit percentages both across dog and cat. And when you look at, you know, there's this notion about pets coming back into the shelters. That's actually uh, the data does not support that. So the the pets coming back into the shelters actually matches the rate that we were seeing in 2019, uh, which actually would say that when you balance out new adoptions and pets coming back, uh, there's still a whole lot more pets getting adopted right now, which is great for the great for the industry. Okay, so now one of the things that makes you stand out versus everyone in your industry is auto ship. There are some who will say that your auto ship customer sales line was a little bit lighter than we thought. I want to know about renewal of auto ship, because that's what I think determines Chewy's future. Well, over 69 percent, I think 69.4 percent to be exact percent of our volume, uh, you know, went through auto ship customers. And the amount of net sales that we push through this program is, is absolutely phenomenal. You know, what's interesting, Jim, is we, what we report is customers that are subscribed into the AutoShip program. If you notice, if you look at the number of customers that we have, so for the number of customers that are subscribed to AutoShip, there's about half more that behave exactly like an AutoShip customer. And they just haven't pushed the button because, you know, of personal reasons. They might live someplace where... You know, they want they travel a lot, so they don't want to be in the auto ship program. They want to be a, we, we deliver them a service that they actually rely upon, so they don't want to they, they want to write the check themselves or something like that. But the point there is that the auto ship program is really meaningful, and there's a whole lot of customers, a, a, a net new a, a, a incremental number of customers that are subscribed to it that haven't pushed the button yet. So overall, we're really pleased with the program, and we don't see uh, you know challenges with it. Okay, that's good to know, because I also know that you've introduced a couple of new programs. I like this uh, petscription program, because so many people say, you know what? It turns out I've heard that it takes it costs a lot of money to uh, to adopt a dog. But with petscription, you come up with something that makes it so the most expensive part of owning an animal, which is medicine, can actually go down. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we've been we've been innovating behind healthcare quite a bit, Jim. And, you know, our intention is to make healthcare affordable and accessible for every pet parent out there. So we started with, if you look at tele, telehealth, which we launched you know, a couple of quarters ago, it's exactly, it solves a really critical need and a pain point for from a customer endpoint and from a veterinarian standpoint where, you know, it takes care of, you know, qualified traffic or triage or, uh, you know, uh, hours where healthcare isn't available. And we've expanded telehealth now 
to a video feature. So the product's being loved even more. And we have extended service over the weekends. And so customer adoption is up. And then we launched, uh, you know, a couple quarters ago, we haven't talked about this, but this product called Petscriptions, which is essentially, you know, a digital solution that's a prescription management platform that veterinarians can use and it reduces in clinic costs, makes veterinarians more efficient and improves customer experience at the same time. And at this point, over 7,000 veterinarian clinics are using it. So we're tremendously proud of these kind of innovations that we're bringing into the marketplace that allows service to be better and cost of service to be lower, which is actually a net net positive for everybody involved. Well, I want to go back to something that you slipped in that I think it's really, you said 6,000 shelters? You're involved with yeah, 6,000 so shelters? Yeah, so 7,000 uh, you know, clinics are using Petscriptions. And then very recently, I think the shelters that you're talking about is we launched pet adoption services. And over 6,000 shelters are now enrolled with our pet, pet adoption service that we launched recently. Okay, so those who have never adopted a, a, a pet from a kill shelter must know this is personal too. That it's almost impossible. You're always trying to match these things. You're trying to find, find a dog. So you are doing yeoman service when you do it. You're doing the Lord's work because these animals can't help themselves. It's been impossible to find. We're trying to adopt one right now. I'm going to go to your site after you do that because we go to your site. And one of the reasons why we use you, and I think that it's a difficult thing. You can look at auto ship. We can look at individual numbers. But you do personalization in, at scale, which everyone tells me can't happen. You know our pets. There's a new thing. You, you've sent pictures of our pets. You've sent condolence notes to our, to, for NVIDIA. Um, but you've also got something new in, in ter- that you're doing that, uh, for someone who has a new pet. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, let's talk about this for a second. So we, there's a couple, couple of ways that we, that we approach customer experience and how we build loyalty into the brand, which is essentially, I think, the crux of the question that you're going after. So see, first thing is culture. Okay. Customer experience and intentional focus and a deliberate attention to customer experience, vowing, surprising, delighting, and innovating on behalf of customers is built into the DNA of the organization. And we practice that on an everyday basis. And we don't look at it for, for a base of customers. We look at personalization on a per customer basis. And so you've talked about things like, you know, we've done pet portraits, we've done flowers. And recently we've actually launched birthday cards where we'll wish you a personalized birthday card when, you know, Fluffy's birthday is coming about. So, you know, it's these kind of mechanisms that allows us to earn trust. And when there's surprise and delight involved, it's even actually more positive. So that's one, culture. Our culture supports customer experience in a way that, uh, you know, cannot be replicated very easily. Number two is an intentional focus on innovation. And, and, And I'm coming to your point on how do you scale this, right? So innovation allows you to do two things. A, it allows you to do more for your customers. I talked about telehealth recently, right. and I right. talked about uh, you know, uh, all of the personalization that we recently launched uh, and innovated towards, you know, personalized dog tags, personalized right. products, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then second, innovation allows you to scale because humans are really good at creative problem solving and the utilization of technology really you know, can preserve that, that high-touch experience, but allows you to bring it to a mass number of customers. Right. And, you know, ultimately, we are an experience-led company on the back of product and technology. Right. Uh, and it, then the third one, third one, Jim, is just give back, right? Our work with shelters, like we donated $35 million last year to shelters. This year, we've now launched a pet adoption service and customers take notice. You know, we, we earn our trust every day and we keep that trust and that engenders customer loyalty for long periods of time. 
Yes, and for the 50 million plus pet owners, we aren't. Anyone who's a pet owner has to listen to these things because they do matter. And if you're not, will you please go to a kill center and adopt a dog before it is put to sleep? I want to thank Sumit Singh delivering one more solid quarter for Chewy. And great to see you, sir. Always love to have you on. Thank you so much. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, be it brick and mortar or point and click, retail runs through the veins of any market. Master the industry with a man who knows. Next. With retail stocks now that so many of these have had enormous runs. About 10 months ago, Matt Boss, the best retail analyst in the industry, started recommending L Brands, American Eagle Outfitters, and The Gap as part of what he called the lag trade, LAG. Since then, these stocks have either double or triple. So now we got a huge problem, a high quality one. Post COVID, do we stick with these stocks as we get closer back to school season, or do we? Bring the register. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? How about we check in with Matt Boss himself, managing director J.P. Morgan, and their senior retail analyst to get a better read on what's about to happen. Mr. Boss, thanks for the lag trade. We shared it with everybody, and welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me back, Jim. All right, so Matt, retail has been unbelievable. I mean, every day these stocks have had great moves. Time to ring the register, or is there more coming? Absolutely not. I think there's a lot more coming in the retail sector, Jim. So I would start off by saying a couple factors on the economic front. You have savings rates in the mid-teens, debt service ratio at 40-year lows, and you have nearly $12 trillion of wealth creation from some of the stock market gains. That, that plus, you have on the employment front more jobs available than any time in the last 20 years. So economically, I think the backdrop is a home run for retail, and at a more micro level, Look, as we look at consumer spending, we have this Chase credit card data here, which right now is pointing to the month of May accelerating 500 basis points or up mid-teens, consumer spending up mid-teens relative to 2019 pre-pandemic. That's actually 500 basis points better than what it was in March and April. And March and April had the government stimulus uh, as as an underlying driver. That's extraordinary. Uh, and you've got, of course, proprietary data because it's Chase. Uh, all right, so we had Gap on and we had American Eagle Outfitters on. I thought both stories were terrific, but I also know that we didn't catch them early. Stay with them? You absolutely stay with the lag trade. So LB, American Eagle, and the Gap. LB, I mean, when I look at the Bath & Body Works concept, mid-20s margin, sustainable, double-digit top-line story, that's trading at a distressed multiple. We see close to 40% upside in LB from here. On the Gap and American Eagle, two of the hottest brands, in my opinion, heading into back to school. A back to school that I think could be, you know, one one that, you know, arguably in our careers might be the best. Physical back to school for the first time in nearly two years. You have Athleta at the Gap, which is hitting on all cylinders. Old Navy, I think, is a consolidation play from all of the closures that's happening across retail. Those are both drivers of the gap. Plus, you have Kanye's Yeezy brand, which kicks off very shortly. And then on American Eagle, look, Aerie is probably, arguably, the hottest brand right now in all of consumer. Too much growth within this overall American Eagle umbrella with the denim potentially leading to a cycle. I know you had Chip from Levi's on uh, a few weeks back, and he talked about the potential denim cycle. 
we see as it as a potential upside or next leg beyond back to school where that would be a driver for the gap that would be american eagle that would be levi's and a number of other brands that i think could benefit from an overall fashion cycle I know that American Eagle, it's my bullpen for action alerts. It just won't come in. Maybe just sometimes you have to bite the bullet, right? Some of these stocks just have to bite the bullet. They're not going to come in big, are they, Matt? Look, again, when I take a step back and I think about the underlying consumer, the structural changes that are happening. I mean, you look at American Eagle, The Gap, LB, the department stores, they've all taken a cut and and they've cut some of the the slack, which is the brick-and-mortar exposure. So I think... Retail comes out of this a better place on the other on the other side of the pandemic. You know, as I look at Nike, Lululemon, VF Corp, these come out with higher penetration of higher margin e-commerce. And so, you know, as I look at retail before versus after the pandemic, you want to associate yourself with the growth, health and wellness, athletic, and you want to follow the market share. And the market share, to me, you're seeing it across the discounters, the dollar stores and the off pricers. All right, so the Consumer Price Index came out today. It was a little bit hot. It said that apparel was hot. Uh, if that's the case, maybe I should uh, trade down somewhat. Uh, TJX, uh, Ross Stores, one that you uh, put me, told me uh, 200 points, Burlington. Are those good, too? You know, the interesting thing with, with, uh, as we look forward, Jim, I mean, look, we're watching COVID, obviously, for any twists and turns. And, you know, c- could we see a, you know, a, surprise, that, a surprise setback? But I'll tell you, inflation, I think people may be looking at it wrong. For apparel, moderate inflation is not a bad thing. It's actually something we haven't had in this sector. The overall apparel sector has been deflationary for the better part of the last decade. And so as I look across the spectrum, there's two beneficiaries. If you're selling innovation and you're selling newness, that to me is the global brand. So that would be your Nike, your Lulu, your VF Corp. Brands that people want, I think, have pricing power. But the second side that you brought up, which would be the off-price sector, I think the real opportunity here is a little bit of average unit retail expansion, meaning a little bit of additional price that they can pass through as they index off of the general retail apparel sector can go a long way to leverage the supply chain and distribution costs. That's been the biggest headwind on margins. If that turns, you have a real inflection with these off-price retailers, TJX, Burlington and Ross stores. I think you can own the whole sector. I mean, this is so good because people keep asking me, have I missed it? Have I missed it? The answer is clearly not from the guy who knows the most. Matthew Boss, Manager Director, Senior Retail Analyst at J.P. Morgan. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to be back. Guys, remember some of these? Remember we had American Eagle Outfitters on, Gap stores, and everyone, other people saw me and said, Jim, how could you be so late? Obviously, we're not late. That money's back in. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time. It's time to And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy for the lightning round. Let's start with Steve in New Jersey. Steve. Hey, Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How about you? Okay. Um, my stock is in the container shipping industry, which is doing quite well now. The last earnings three weeks ago saw our revenue more than double from last year's March quarter, and they raised full-year guidance as well. Also, there's a special $2 share dividend coming up. One more thing to note, 
a recent 8 million share secondary offering. The stock I speak of, Vim Shipping. Oh, man, that thing is just too hot for me. It's too hot. It is just, uh, let's see where, no, that one's too hot. I mean, it's had a very big run, and those kinds of stocks are cooling right now. I want you to just walk away for a little bit. I think you can go lower. Let's go to Kurt in Florida. Kurt. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Kurt. Um, hey, I invested in CCIV um, back when it first hit the market. Um, it went to the moon, and then it came back down. And just wondering if uh, you think it's going to do anything special. I like Lucid and I like Fisker, okay? I like both of them. I don't like Lordstown, by the way. I think that one is a bad ride. I believe in Lucid. Even as it was going 80 miles an hour, I was almost tossed out of it. Right after I had my back surgery, it was a very unfortunate moment. But I do like that one. I think you should own it. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe! Hello, Mr. Kramer. Joe, what's going on? It wasn't the same with you out last week. I'm glad you're back. My wife said the same thing. She's glad I'm back. <laughs> My stock is Cadman Holdings, ticker K. Oh, so you're a speculative M-M. guy. You like a little speculation. You got big-time speculation with Cadman. Please understand, that's an up 10, down 10. All right? As long as you get that. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack! Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. No problem. Hey, I got in at a, a good dividend yield months ago. Add more, take some off the table, or hold. IBM. I like IBM. I like I like Arvin here. You know, I mean, he's he's doing a good job. Remember, they're going to split the company, so you're not going to get the you'll get together the dividend. But you're buying Arvin's IBM. You're going for growth, and I think there will be growth. I like the situation. By the way, I like what Gary Cohen's doing there too. And he's doing an excellent job. He's helping out, trying to you know, craft the longer-term strategy. Let's go to George in Pennsylvania. George. How you doing, Jim? George, I'm doing uh, terrific. I'm How about you? Good. I'm asking about PTMP. It's an oil pipeline. Uh, I know. But I, look, I, I like the midstream partners. As a matter of fact, I said this morning on Squawk on the Street, these are the kinds of stocks you have to be buying. I like Enterprise. I like One, One Oak. I like this whole group. Why? Because after what I saw today with the Keystone, they ain't never going to be able to get another pipeline approved in this country. So the ones that are existing are going to make money now. Sean in Florida, Sean. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Sean. Listen, uh, I've been watching you since the days of Cudlow and Kramer. I was I was 13 then. <laughs> That's all right. I'm glad we're doing it over the phone because I got a face made for radio. Wow, self-denigration. One of my skills. Go ahead. Okay, I got a, co- a company I made money on. Uh, the stock is up from where I bought it. It's about feeding people for less money. I like it. I know it's got some detractors. Ticker symbol AQB. No, I've, I've not been one of the detractors. I think it's kind of an interesting situation. But then again, I also like Beyond Meat. So maybe I shouldn't be trusted. Although I had some this weekend I thought it was particularly good. And, I, and no one knew it was even Beyond Meat. Everyone thought I was making burgers. Let's go to uh, Naj in Illinois. Naj. What's up, Jim? Booyah. Booyah. How you doing? I, good. You, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the trade desk, PPE. Oh, uh, look, I like trade desks. It's come down. But remember, those kinds of high multiple stocks, people don't like them right now. And that's one of the most expensive stocks in the entire market. It's like Roku, that, Snowflake. But I'm going to stick by him. Why? Because I like Jeff Green. I, no, no. I, yeah, yeah. I like Jeff Green. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
Coming up, don't make a move on memes alone. How can you tell if a stock is really reliable or just riding a Reddit rally? Kramer explains next. Look at me. Not everything that rockets higher is a meme stock. It's worth remembering that Reddit's Wall Street's best is not the only thing that can power big moves. Moves like we've just seen in Cleveland Cliffs, clean energy fuels, both of which have been labeled meme moonshots. Let's start with Cleveland Cliffs. We recently profiled this steelmaker as one of the cheapest stocks in the entire market, even as it had an enormous run over the past year. Cleveland Cliffs is an amalgam of older steel and iron ore producers, so they've been able to take advantage of the relentless rise in steel prices. We had them on the show when the stock was at just under 19. I was astonished at how inexpensive this thing was, given that there's almost no new capacity coming on in the steel industry. In fact, many of the mills that have been shut down remain uneconomic even at these much higher prices. Plus, when it comes to cheap government-supported steel, Chinese steel, it turns out President Biden is just as much a protectionist against the Chinese dumping steel as President Trump was. So I'm not worried about that. Two years ago, Cleveland Cliffs was a storied iron ore company, but it's hard to make much money from iron, which is the definition of an undifferentiated commodity. Now, thanks to a couple of big acquisitions, AK Steel and ArcelorMittal USA, it's a vertically integrated steelmaker. Cleveland Cliffs had to take on a lot of debt to do those deals, but now can pay down that debt by selling stock as it did earlier this year. As the company keeps chipping away at the roughly $5 billion in debt it has, I bet the stock will keep climbing, especially since it's now spewing vast quantities of cash. You could argue that Virtuous Circle makes it similar to the meme stocks. After all, isn't that what's been going on with AMC? The difference, Cleveland Cliffs has incredible earnings. Companies making fortune right now. Business is booming. And even after yesterday's explosive nearly 15% move, its stock remains incredibly cheap when you put it on what's known as an EBITDA basis with cash flow. With true meme stocks like GameStop or AMC, well, you got to spin these elaborate stories just to justify owning them. If they keep raising money and the management comes up with something brilliant, then maybe, maybe you can think, well, hold it just a second. It could be, I don't know, the valuation might be, uh, yeah, okay, I'll buy. With Cleveland Cliffs, you don't need to use your imagination. They just have to keep doing what they're doing. And the stock's going to continue to chug higher. And then there's another kind of mistaken meme play. It's something called clean energy fuels. Now, longtime viewers might remember this one. The company that built out a network of fueling stations for natural gas-powered vehicles. CLNE was championed by the late Boone Pickens. And CEO Andrew Littlefair told a great story about that gas as a cheaper, cleaner bridge fuel that could replace petroleum or diesel. Of course, natural gas vehicles never took off. Clean energy fuels floundered, suffering years after years of losses. Now, though, the company has pivoted. It's largely in the business of selling what's known as RNG, renewable natural gas. And that, that's 73% of the production. And this time, CLNE has a big supporter in Amazon, potentially its largest customer. Just like we saw with Plug Power, the fuel cell play, Amazon's got a deal where it got warrants from clean energy, something could back, you know, could want them in the form of bad press, if Amazon ever exercised the warrant stumps the stock. In this case, though, Amazon is apparently committed to hundreds of millions of gallons of clean energy fuels, renewable natural gas, which is made by capturing methane from landfills, farms, 
wastewater treatment plants. CLNE is building 19 new stations for them this year, and Amazon already has 26 existing stations. According to Little Fair, the potential for Amazon alone is 15,000 heavy-duty trucks. The deal also solidifies the joint venture relations with uh, Clean Energy as with BP and Total, two huge oil companies that have been under fire for not doing enough to clean up the environment. Now, we've been burned by CLNE before, but the company's now got ca- positive cash flow from operations, sitting on $300 million in cash, very different from the old days. I think Little Fair set the company up to make a lot of money, maybe as soon as next year. A shocking development, if you remember them from our earlier interviews. Then again, renewable natural gas has a great pitch. When you extract natural gas from, say, manure, do you know that it's the least carbon-intensive fuel out there, better even than green hydrogen fuel cells, better than electric vehicles? If they don't turn that manure methane into fuel, it goes into the atmosphere anyway, which is why this is so environmentally friendly. I mean, plus, it's cheap. I mean, what is, what's not to like about manure? All right, so yeah, Wall Street bets may have finally noticed Cleveland Cliffs and clean energy fuels, but I think they're both buys with or without the meme stock affection. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.